are pointing fingers at the rise in anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. I think it does go well beyond D.C. and politicians. I think we're living in a time where people have taken a self-righteous flag in the way they live and they have banged it over people's head. It, it, as someone who was raised in the church, it breaks my heart that people weaponize religion mm. in the way that they're doing because self-righteousness, which might seem kind of evasive when you look at it is the division of people it is yeah. looking at someone else and focusing on their differences and you being better than them there are a gazillion quotes in the bible about how wrong that is i was raised to love thy neighbor and we are not the judge there is a power that has that power there is a place for that but we are here to be inclusive and you'll never find a more inclusive place than a gay bar I've jesus would be the grand marshal at the pride parade i don't mean I about really gay and welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 23rd of November, year of our Lord, 2022. And you gotta be shitting me. I love how people who know nothing about religion are always the people talking about religion and what Jesus would do or say. Now, being a Christian who's read the whole Bible and was very devout some periods of my life, uh, no. He wouldn't be the gay marshal. He wouldn't chastise them. He tried to turn them. He tried to heal their souls because most of this is trans and most of it is a mental illness. So he'd be doing some serious healing, not puberty blocking and shit. But anyway, some things up front before we even get into the show. I got to play this because this was... We're going to have two things that are going to be very interesting this podcast. Before the election, after the election. So before the election, we were told that Papa Biden had fixed the rail strike. As the holiday season begins, there are new concerns about a possible rail strike after one of the nation's largest railroad unions rejected a deal that had been reached back in September. An agreement was negotiated with the help of the Biden administration, but that agreement seems to have fallen apart for now. Ed O'Keefe is at the White House for us. Ed, good morning. Tony, good morning. They are monitoring this quite closely here at the White House, saying a shutdown is unacceptable, and they're encouraging all sides to continue talking ahead of a December 5th deadline. Twelve rail unions across the country were asked to ratify a deal that was reached back in September, but four of the unions have voted to reject the deal. Workers would get a raise under the proposal, but the amount of sick leave continues to be a major sticking point, especially how they could use their sick leave. If they can all come to an agreement by December 5th, the first of the unions would walk off the job and the others are likely to follow in solidarity. And that would cause a major ripple effect across the economy just a few weeks before Christmas. One industry group estimates a shutdown would cost about $2 billion a day. 
causing significant supply chain issues and delays of food, fuel, water, coal, and other issues that would send prices soaring. Now, Congress could step in to stop a rail strike and likely would do so. They've done so, in fact, 18 other times in the past. Here at the White House, they say the president continues to be briefed on the situation. There are no plans as of now for any administration officials here at the White House or over at the Labor Department to get involved. But with just under two weeks to go, Nate, we'll see if that holds. It reminds me a lot of the Trump years, that we're not going to say things, we're not going to cover things, we're going to bury things. And that's election, also we have a fucking, you know, vaccine. Didn't have that. I mean, why would we? Why would we? I mean, we can't let him get done some of these are going to be subjects we're going to cover as the day goes on but i had them up front because i am just these are some shocking things that i just wanted to get this is a real tweet this is about twitter and a liberal act how many people will die because twitter changed hands i mean that's a real thing that's that's a real thing. What the fuck? And then we have our Artemis, which I've been really into, to get the first black woman on the moon. We're not going to the moon for mankind anymore. We're going for woke kind. And then to find out that there's this huge thing during the week that uh, a noose was found on Obama's construction site and that was a big ass deal everybody was freaking out about that but they're going to do an actual documentary on al fucking sharpton yeah mike chris did a walkthrough with the police we get threats all the time. I'm, I'm not going to not do the rally. Come on, give me your name. Reverend Alfred Sharpton, chairman of National Youth Movement. We just buried a boy, and the only thing he did wrong was he was born on the wrong side of the track. In New York City in the 80s, what we wanted to say, people did not want to hear. So you had to be loud because you were not invited to address the public. This is the beginning of a civil rights movement in New York. It's all the media's fault. These things should be kept quiet. Now shop and go home. They will say that we are exasperating racial tensions, but the people know the truth. George Floyd's story has been the story of black folks. We talk about calling for a big march. We want to put two, 300,000 people in Washington. If the question comes from the media about looting, he wanted to cast to you to set the tone. Couldn't breathe. I understand the anger. I've been fighting these issues for decades. Anytime you start shaking the root of this system, then you're going to have a discredit campaign. Senator Schumer, we have not had the legislative response to the litany of cases of policing all the way from Rodney King to now. 2020, we must deal with police brutality. We've got to turn these stations upside down. All of our lives you had to fight to make sure that you controlled the story. I 
to be able to raise the theater level to where you don't lose control, but it is dramatic enough that you can't be ignored either. Now this guy is the biggest race hustler on the planet. Then we have this, scientists believe this is the map in 30 years. I, I tweeted on this because I was told when I was a child I'd be frozen by now. Then in my 30s, I was told that I was going to be underwater because climate or global warming was a thing. And then I was told that I was going to be dead now under climate change. And how are we going to get that lake? How is that working, by the way? How? Where's the water coming from? If your concept is the ice caps are going to melt this and you can't see my pointer but the, the edge would be underwater not the center of the fucking country get the fuck out of here we're going to cover this in a second but before we do i i would not be a good podcast host if I, I didn't at least play some of the choice cuts of how they literally fawned over pelosi the most divisive politician in American history. But first, Nancy Pelosi's place in history will be what? It's large. I think she's maybe the most important speaker of the House in American history. Now, some, like James K. Polk, used the, the speakership to become president. In the 20th century, you had, had people like Joseph Cannon, during the Theodore Roosevelt Taft era, who loomed large, Republican from Indiana. Sam Rayburn's often talked about as one of the greats during Eisenhower and Kennedy. And Tip O'Neill, due to his friendship with Ronald Reagan, is epic stuff. But Nancy Pelosi it has a legacy that is so large, not just for shattering the glass ceiling of being a woman, but I think the Affordable Care Act. I mean, that really has provided so many people with um, ability to pay for operations, uh, surgical procedures, saved lives. And uh, Obama and Harry Reid say it couldn't be done without Nancy Pelosi. That's a big feather in her cap. And John, I don't think she's going away. She's going to be in the temple, as she calls it, the capital. And like John Lewis, who stayed as a icon in, the, in Congress till the very end, she will be there instructing these new generation of, of um, elected officials in the Democratic Party on what to do, how to do procedures. She's now the grand leader of the Democratic Party and she's not going away. She'll be a big asset for these. Today on Capitol Hill, Congress coming to a standstill to witness a historic passing of the torch. Eugene, uh, you write about the outgoing speaker. Nancy Pelosi is the most consequential speaker of our time. Nancy Pelosi is a believer and her belief has made ours a more perfect union. She is stepping down after a legendary run as House Speaker. Nancy Pelosi was, of course, legendary. Nancy Pelosi was an incredible Speaker of the House. A towering figure in American politics, Pelosi is a towering figure in American politics. She's maybe the most important Speaker of the House in American history. I find her to be almost irreplaceable. This is like watching you know, a great performer on the stage or a great athlete. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, it, it's sort of hard not to be in awe 
of what she has accomplished, unless you're in a cult. Because of Nancy Pelosi, the lives of millions and millions of Americans are better, even in districts represented by Republicans who voted against her bills and too often vilify her. John Boehner was crying, Hank Paulson was on bended knee, and Nancy Pelosi delivered. That is at the darkest day of the financial crisis. A Republican reminded me today that it was Nancy Pelosi who, in this Republican's words, saved the economy back in 2008. And what did Kevin McCarthy do today? Went on. T it's the way our politics used to be. You know, if, if the big retirement like this, yeah. uh, the end, end of an era, first woman to serve as speaker, an amazing mm -hmm. career, a mother of five. Right. And by the way, her husband was just attacked yeah. as the result of political violence. This would have been the moment to step up and show so, some grace. You know, who raised you? Who raised these people? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Who raised you? Who raised you, Kevin McCarthy? Who raised you, Republicans in the House? Seriously, try and imitate somebody with just an ounce of grace. Try and make your mother proud for one second. It's disgusting. It's disappointing. And not to me. You're the one who has to look in the mirror every day. Anyhow, I digress. <laughs> Turn out the count. Uh, no, it's the end of an era and an incredible one. And um, I mean, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, it, it's sort of hard not to be in awe of what she Pelosi, of course, is the first woman speaker. Her resignation marks a seismic shift to a new generation of Democratic leaders. She has been the most powerful woman in Washington for decades, a measured, at times, defiant leader. But now, after political loss and a brutal attack on her family, Pelosi says it's time to pass the torch. It was a moment that brought Capitol Hill to a standstill. Members of Congress filling the House chamber to witness the end of an era. Pelosi is a towering figure in American politics, the first and only woman to serve as speaker of the House. Nancy Pelosi's reign over the House Democratic Caucus was legendary. As the first female speaker, she went toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of the most powerful men in the world and rarely backed down, making her a hero in her party and enemy number one for Republicans. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi passing the torch on Capitol Hill. An icon to Democrats and a villain to Republicans, Pelosi was a polarizing figure who spent two decades as the House Democratic leader, and many Republicans are happy to see her go. And in her farewell address, paid homage to the presidents she worked with. I have enjoyed working with three presidents. She notably left one out, Donald Trump, who she clashed with, pointing him down during a cabinet meeting, sauntering out of the West Wing in sunglasses, and tearing up a copy of his State of the Union from the dais in the So let's just take you back down that for a better visual on memory, down memory lane. John Boehner was crying, Hank Paulson was on bended knee, and Nancy Pelosi delivered. That is at the darkest day of the financial crisis. And what did Kevin McCarthy do today? Went on TV and said, we fired Nancy. Nice job, Kev. Amy, Eric Swalwell today brought his daughter to see Nancy Pelosi speak on the House floor. Tell us about what kind of impact she's had for women. Well, she's been an amazing leader um, and patriot. You know, I, I, I said earlier today that she took an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States of America, just like all of us in the military did. And she lived that. And I'd like to just point out that as a veteran, no one has had our back more than Nancy Pelosi. From don't ask, don't How? tell. 
Right, from, because Republicans from, love to say we're all about law and order. We're the ones with the military. Explain this to us. From passing critical legislation to support veterans, from uh, the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the post 9-11 GI Bill, uh, the recent PACT Act that, that just passed, none of this happens without Nancy Pelosi. And you know what? Nancy Pelosi was even in Congress back in the, in the days when they repealed uh, the combat exclusion law, which actually allowed me to have a job as a fighter pilot uh, for 20 years. I mean, she was a part of that. I mean, that's how long she's been in Congress and how effective she's been uh, for women and, and for veterans. And reminder, she ain't leaving. Charles, as promised, the Republicans are now saying they're gonna go hard after Hunter Biden. Here's what I don't get. How did they, Congress, go after Hunter Biden? Isn't, if there is something to go after, isn't that a legal issue that the DOJ would handle? Of course it is. And when you're talking about the Republicans in this instance, before you talk about going after him in a court of law, you have to talk about the court of public opinion. And in this case, it, it clearly seems that Republicans... Then we get to CBS and they finally, after two years, decide that the Hunter Biden laptop is authentic. And of course, that also was after the election. And as Republicans take control of the House, Hunter Biden, the president's son, will be a target for investigations. And that means data from a laptop reported to belong to Biden could be crucial to the investigatory process. CBS News has obtained its data, not through a third party or political operative, but directly from the source who told us they provided it to the FBI under subpoena. And we commissioned an independent forensic review to determine its authenticity. Senior investigative correspondent Catherine Harris joins us now with what we found. Catherine, I'm very interested. Good morning. Good morning, Tony. These House Republican investigations are coming, and that could be a challenge for the White House as we head into 2023 and 2024. The laptop data we had analyzed showed no evidence it was faked or tampered with. Digital forensic investigator Mark Lanterman was previously a member of a Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force. There was one thing that got my attention, and that was a voicemail. It's dad. I called and told you I love you. I love you more than the whole world, pal. Gotta get some help. That voicemail, apparently from Joe Biden during his son Hunter's drug addiction, is one of many findings Lanterman used to authenticate what is believed to be Hunter Biden's laptop data. You're confident, based on your analysis, this is Hunter Biden's data and that it's real? Yes. This Delaware computer shop is where the laptop's backstory begins. Their records indicate in April 2019, Hunter Biden took his laptop in for repair, but never paid. After 90 days, the store considered it abandoned. Then in December 2019, the FBI subpoenaed the store's owner to turn over the computer and a portable drive of its data. Whatever happened to Hunter? During the 2020 election, versions were widely shared by Republican operatives, including Rudy Giuliani. We have the entire hard drive. But questions were raised about whether additional files were added to those versions. Then-candidate Biden labeled the laptop controversy disinformation. What this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. CBS News approached the lawyer for the computer repair shop owner to cut through the noise. We've always had uh, one clean copy. And obtained a copy of what he says they provided the FBI under subpoena. 
Then we went to Minneapolis for an independent analysis. Were you paid by CBS or anyone else to analyze the data? No. No. I wouldn't want anyone to think that someone bought our opinion. Around the corner, it'll lead you to what we call our imaging room. Lanterman and his son, Sean, both digital forensic experts, recovered images of credit cards, a driver's license, social security number. Just the sheer volume of what we're dealing with, it would be difficult, uh, if not impossible, to fabricate. And explained how files built up over years. It accumulated over time, which is consistent with normal, everyday use of a computer. There's some reporting about folders being added. We have read these um, articles. We don't see that. So I believe that that's because we have a more pristine copy. The laptop and its contents have fueled Republican interest in Hunter Biden's business ventures. Hunter Biden was working with Chinese nationals. They say this May 2017 email outlining a proposed business deal with a Chinese energy firm is one reason why they have questions about whether President Biden benefited. We're prepared to subpoena Hunter Biden. We would certainly hope that he would want to come before the committee and clear his name. Two of Hunter Biden's former business partners, including Tony Bobulinski, who received the email, told CBS News the 10 held by H for the big guy is shorthand for 10 percent held by Hunter for his father. After the email became public in 2020, the author of the email told The Wall Street Journal Joe Biden was not involved. The author has not responded to CBS News' questions. Mr. Biden has consistently denied knowledge of his son's work or financially benefiting from it. I've never spoken to my son about this. Last month, Senator Chuck Grassley wrote this letter alleging bank records and financial data showed that Hunter Biden and the president's brother profited from a $5 million wire from a company connected to CEFC, the Chinese energy firm. They're going to look at every part of the Joe Biden administration. Doug High is a Republican strategist. A lot of this is also going to be aggressive on Hunter specifically. We're going to hear a lot about the laptop. Who profited? Was the law broken? Was it not broken? After two years of scrutiny, the laptop has not produced evidence President Biden directly benefited from his son's business deals. If there's dirt there, that will dirty him up. If not, those attacks can backfire. The White House declined to comment. Hunter's lawyer did not address our specific questions about the data or the CBS forensic review, but said there have been multiple attempts to hack, infect, distort and peddle misinformation regarding Mr. Biden's devices and data. And at no time did any individual, including the IT repair shop owner, Mr. McIsaac, have Mr. Biden's consent to access his computer data or share it with others. The lawyer also referred us to Hunter Biden's memoir, where the president's son slammed the despicable opposition that purported to have a laptop belonging to him. It is amazing how we don't find stuff on liberals. And I was going to read this, but it's just more of the same old fucking shit. You know, as I said in my last goddamn fucking podcast, you're not going to get a conviction of Biden. He's going to skate on this. He's skated his whole life. He's a fucking useless fuck and he's the president of the United States. So why even try? Before we get into the Q shooting and inevitably why I all of a sudden stopped seeing the shooter's name or pictures of him because the narrative got crushed. I want to play something that's 
really shocking. And then I'm going to play a large chunk of our media blaming conservatives for the actions of one individual. Vital part of country music history is slated to be destroyed. So much American history has been destroyed in the last few years. Will this be next? Kid Rock joins us in a minute to explain what might happen and how to stop it. But first thing, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. It is a stable of so-called conspiracy theories that the highest levels of politics and finance, there is a shadowy cabal of pedophiles who use their power to hide the crimes they commit against children. That people think that. Sounds pretty far out to us, too dark and strange to be true. And of course, we are not obviously endorsing that idea. On the other hand, you can kind of see why people might believe it. Jeffrey Epstein, for example. Epstein continued to dine with business moguls and heads of state long after he was arrested for having sex with minors. How did he do that? Why did nobody say anything? Why did people keep eating with him? Well, at the very least, we can conclude based on the evidence that there is a tolerance for pedophilia among some, among the most powerful in our society, a tolerance that you would not find in, say, your average middle-class American family. Some of the rich really are different that way. That's clearly true. And in case you need more evidence of that, consider Balenciaga. Balenciaga is what they call a luxury brand. Balenciaga is a company that sells $1,100 sneakers and cotton sweatshirts for $1,500 to people who've literally run out of things to buy. You're probably not doing your back-to-school shopping at Balenciaga, but some people apparently are. So this week, Balenciaga rolled out a new ad campaign on Instagram, and the selling point of the ads was sex with children. One photograph showed a very young girl lying face down on a couch with candles, empty wine glasses, and a dog collar on a coffee table in front of her. Another picture showed the same girl, a toddler, holding a teddy bear dressed in sexual bondage gear, including a leather harness. And then, in case you missed the point, we're for pedophilia, Balenciaga. Another picture made it explicit. That picture showed pages from a Supreme Court opinion that struck down a law designed to fight child pornography. Whoever staged the photo shoot made certain to include a portion of that opinion that used the word sex or sexual four times. And of course, that was not an accident. Balenciaga wanted you to notice. So this seemed like a big story to us, as we told you last night. Here you have a major international retail brand promoting kiddie porn and sex with children, and not promoting it subtly, but right out in the open. No healthy society can tolerate that, and in fact, none ever have tolerated it. There's never been a time in American history where pedophilia was considered anything other than the worst thing, the most horrifying crime imaginable. Pedophiles famously get killed in prison because even murderers consider them immoral. That's how out of bounds it is and has always been to sexualize children. It's totally unacceptable. But apparently, it's not unacceptable anymore. Academics have redefined child molesters as minor attracted persons. And the point, of course, is to send the message that actually it's not that big a deal. It's just a different kind of love. So maybe not surprisingly, given that trend, apart from a few isolated exceptions in the American media, almost all outlets completely ignored Balenciaga's kiddie porn ad campaign. There was not a single story about it in the New York Times this morning, or in Jeff Bezos' Washington Post, or on CNN, or NBC. There was no talk of an investigation or a boycott. The usual outrage, mer outrage merchants stayed completely silent because they weren't outraged. Balenciaga ultimately issued a statement saying it was going to punish the photographer who did the shoot, 
like it was the photographer's fault and they didn't know about it. And after that, the story effectively died. And that means that the CEO of Balenciaga, a man called Cedric Charbit, will not become a social pariah for what his company has just done. He will continue, just as Jeffrey Epstein continued, to enjoy his busy social life totally unpenalized with his many fabulous celebrity friends. Here he is, for example, with the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, who looks very excited to be with him. Now, we found that picture, by the way, in less than a minute online. Yet, as far as we know, apart from us on this show, no one has asked Eric Adams about it, and it's likely that nobody ever will. And the reason is simple. The media have no interest in covering the sexualization of children. Their interest, and it's a very intense interest, tellingly so, is in destroying anyone who complains about the sexualization of children or who even notices it. Noticing it, they tell us, is an attack on the LGBT community. So the assumption here, their assumption, apparently, is that gay people are in favor of molesting kids and, of course, in favor of performing genital mutilation on minors. But that's absurd. No normal person is for this, gay or not. It's not anti-gay to oppose kiddie porn or to feel horror at the fact that doctors are cutting the breasts off of healthy teenage girls. These are crimes, and most gay people think they're crimes. Why wouldn't they think that? Protecting children from adults who want to sexually exploit them is a basic human instinct, and it's a noble instinct. And yet... I saw this, and I was just... I couldn't even process anger that you're using kids. But they are. Now, to understand the whole trans story hour was invented by trans activists who wanted kids to normalize it. That's why they're doing it. It's not to show kids that they're people too. It's not all a glowing shit the media says. But every time something happens to the trans community, not the veteran community, where there's 17 suicides a day and people like me walking around dragging limbs, no, they don't give a fuck about us. There were supposedly 32 murders last year, but all 32 of them were mostly domestic abuse cases. You have... Brandy Zazoski, you're going to hear her in a second. Hateful and violent online rhetoric targeting LGBTQ people have ratcheted up for months. Now, just hours after a deadly mass shooting at Club Q, the worst of these hate accounts, live of TikTok, is targeting another drag event in Colorado. Shapiro sums it up. The best. The rule is that you must never report on what is happening or a senior reporter from NBC News will blame you for mass shooting and call you for you to be deplatformed. Sarah Rara, a major CNN contributor. White people wake up every day to choose violence. That's not hateful rhetoric, though. That's, that's not hateful. Here are articles that are... Understanding and supporting transgender community. I don't need to understand or support them. They get enough support. Our children. They're sick. My, I was scared to get my first smear test. Because I'm a woman, but I'm telling everybody I'm a male. So now, yeah. that That's kind of bad. Maybe. London Breed's handing free cash. A livable wage for trannies. But they don't get any help. Shapiro, again, agree with me or I'll blame you for murder. That was Michelle Goldberg. I'm not even going to cover hers. We're, we're not. 
people flipped it on the fact that uh, what about Kavanaugh? I mean, Colin Wright, biologic sex is real, immutability and binary. Really? Really? Biological male who was 72nd on boys track team takes first place in girls event. I don't know if I got this slide or not, but this was the USA Today. Oh, this is the New York Times finally admitting that we've been saying forever, there's serious problems with puberty blockers. I'm not going to read it. You already know it. Kids aren't supposed to be taking that. We shouldn't be taking any other shit. We shouldn't. Family-friendly Pride Festival features dildo ring toss. But that, that has nothing to do with it. Amazing, the article quotes an official with the American Academy of Pediatrics that said kids don't have the agency to permanently alter their bodies, and yet the American Academy of Pediatrics endorses transitioning minors. It is permanent. This story... I wanted to show before we went in. A 10-year-old got a fucking tattoo and they arrested the mother. The mother went to jail because of a tattoo. But puberty blockers, they push... The kids should be able to do it without your parents. Teachers should help them. So keep that in mind as you listen to this litany of it's those people's fault that a guy went to Cougar Girl Cocoa Bus. There was going to be a drag brunch the next day at Club Q. And uh, that's a way to get kids to see, hey, look, it's a person. doesn't necessarily look like the people that you see every day at the store or whatever. Um, but these are, real, these are real people with lives and emotions. They like the same stories that you do. There's nothing sexualized about it. But every time there's one of those now, the Proud Boys show up because there's an account on the internet called Libs of TikTok that's been pushed by you know, Tucker Carlson and uh, the Babylon Bee and the far right. Tucker in particular seems fixated on this anti-queer panic. In addition to his diatribes against drag shows, he's platformed anti-trans activists, used particularly vicious and extreme rhetoric to attack children's hospitals for providing trans youth and medical care. If he's a consumer of the people we just rattled off, from Lauren Boebert to Tucker Carlson, let's get it out. Let's get it out at trial. Let's expose it for what it is, name it and shame it. He's a consumer of these people, and those people should, should face civil consequences from the victims. Scott, uh, as you know, there was that mass shooting Saturday night in Colorado Springs at an LGBTQ uh, nightclub, five people killed. Herschel Walker in Georgia has released a new ad today. Let's play a portion of it. I'm Riley Gaines, a 12-time NCAA All-American. And I'm Herschel Walker. For more than a decade, I worked so hard, 4 a.m. practices to be the best. But my senior year, I was forced to compete against a biological male. That's unfair and wrong. A man won the swimming title that belonged to a woman, and Senator Warnock voted to let it happen. Warnock's afraid to stand up for female athletes. Herschel Walker stands up for what's right. Why is that the message for this moment? Uh, well, it's a huge issue for a Republican base. I assume what the Walker campaign is thinking is, is that 
they need to keep Republicans uh, engaged in this election. Obviously, they got to get them to come out to the polls one more time. And there were a number of Republicans who voted for Kemp in the general election who didn't vote for Herschel Walker. So this is a, a base engagement strategy. And just having uh, been around Republican politics for a few years, I can tell you, this issue right here does engage Republicans. So I, I see why they're doing it. I, I understand the strategy behind it. But to me, it is uh, it is all about keeping Republicans on the hook to come out one more time uh, in an election where Walker is actually fighting from behind. He got fewer votes. So he's got to get a few more Republicans to the polls uh, on the runoff. Just question the timing of it all, though. He's got yeah. a few more weeks in this election, and to do it after a mass shooting just a few days. Um, listen, uh, Republicans, uh, and you, Ron, would agree in your assessment, Republicans got hurt by some of their leaders' response to the attack. So, Frank, you heard me talking to the senator there. 344 anti-LGBTQ bills in state houses around the country. Why is that issue suddenly so politically active? I, I don't know. And I do know that there is a poison and toxicity that exists in our dialogue right now. And I know that much of it comes from social media. I don't seek to politicize anything for any reason because people are dying. And it's so much more important than trying to find partisan gain over it. Tom, put your detective hat on for us because you've worked on these issues for so long. And can you just explain the motive and mindset of a deranged person who goes into a nightclub where people are dancing mm -hmm. and having a great time <clears throat> and thinks that by shooting, killing five people, what, people aren't going to be gay anymore? I mean, what's the thought process there? You know, as, as he just mentioned, so we... Here's, here's a breaking news. Uh, we live in a racist, sexist, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic country. This is stuff that is learned behavior, passed down through generations. And unless we address that root issue, that in upon itself, everything stems from that. And then when you add into the mix, you know, the free flowing of, of guns in our country, which are awash in every neighborhood of every state, now you have people who are a few sandwiches short of a picnic, like this guy, who get their hands on, on a weapon and then go out and then massacre people just trying to enjoy themselves. I can't really explain what is behind the, the methodology of a psychopath. Um, what I can tell you is that we see a reoccurring theme. And as I mentioned on uh, CNN Newsroom yesterday, once we get into the background of this individual, which they now have, mm -hmm. you know, coming through his social media and, and talking to the people that he knows, we see a reoccurring theme of people who are extremely angry and have all kinds of, of, of vitriol that they need to just let out. And as many people in government are guilty of, fire of people. And if they're on the edge to go out and, and snap and do something, that maybe that's all it takes is someone of, of authority to, to give. I do want to say, though, um, Am I doing something wrong here? Here are some headlines that I wrote the last six months. Fueled by Internet's far-right machine, anti-LGBTQ threats shut down trans rights and drag events. Remember, uh, there was a drag event happening in Colorado. Anti-trans stalkers at Kiwi Farms, which is an uh, uh, anti-trans website that stalks people, are chasing one victim around the world. Their list of targets is growing. That was a couple months ago. Doctors under threat from far-right activists for providing trans care. Boston Children's Hospital faces bomb threat after right-wing harassment campaign. There were three of those bomb threats. FBI charges Massachusetts women with Boston Children's Hospital bomb threats, so they found one of the people. 
At least 20 Republican politicians have claimed that schools are making accommodations for students who identify as cats. That was before um, the midterms. Here are, some, here are three more from my colleagues in the last uh, three weeks. As electioneers, some conservative groups have ramped up anti-trans campaign ads. Far-right figures appear to be testing Twitter's boundaries for anti-LGBTQ speech. GOP uh, senator targets TikTok influencer with anti-transgender taunts. And I'm just wondering, what could I have done different? Seriously, as reporters, what can we do different? Because there are five dead people in a strip mall, because that was the only place they felt safe as gay or trans people in this town in Colorado Springs. And I am trying to thread this needle here. I'm trying to say that this is happening. This targeted stuff has real life impacts. They say on the internet has real life impacts. And I'm gonna fail, by the way. I'm gonna you know, freak out because it's happening. Because I wake, I wake up and I see that there are five dead bodies. But I think we have to have a come to Jesus moment here uh, as reporters. Are we more afraid of being on Breitbart for saying that trans people deserve to be alive? Or are we more afraid of the dead people? Because I'm more afraid of the dead people. I don't want, I, I don't want to wake up on a Sunday and see that all of these headlines came to fruition. What do, what do we do about public officials at local level, state level? Um, how significant are those two dates? Yeah, and, and also hours before a, a, what they called an all-ages drag brunch, which is probably the number one target of these uh, anti-LGBTQ um, uh, events recently. Like, for example, the Proud Boys will go and protest any drag brunch, any um, any drag story hour, anything that a child might go to meet a, a drag queen, not, you know, just to show them that they're human beings and people. They talk, they, they go there and they, they read Dr. Seuss there. They read uh, regular books, uh, but it's read by a drag queen and they, you know, they have breakfast. Uh, it is not some hypersexual event, but that's what it's viewed as on the far right. And these spaces have become dangerous places of real-life information warfare. There's Proud Boys showing up on one side. Sometimes people like local Antifa members show up on the other side as a, as a way to... It, it, be, it becomes a place where kids aren't safe, not because of the event itself, but because of this culture war that's been propped up uh, on top of it. Uh, and uh, that's not something that should happen. This is not something, you know, these people should be able to live their lives uh, without fear of being murdered, literally. Uh, but right now, that's the sort of climate that's been created by uh, anti-LGBTQ uh, protesters and, frankly, bigots. To go on, because I don't think most people have ever seen one. I've been to one with kids there, with like kids there. I want to show you guys what drag queen story hours look like, because there was a drag show at, that was supposed to be at this club uh, when this attack happened. I just want those who don't know what they look like to see what one looks like. This is cut two. Please play this. The hair. So a lot of drag queens have really big, big, big hair. So the hair on the drag queen goes up, up, up. So you can put your hands on your head like this and go up, up, up. So the hair on the drag queen goes up, 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 up. The hair on the drag queen goes up, 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 all through the town. Good job. And, you know, it, it makes me sad, Brandon, that that scares right wing people so much that they would try to ban it or your governor sued people over it. 
and then people act surprised when there's violence against people who are trans and LGBTQ. Your thoughts? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, ask people around this country what they're most concerned about, and they want to be able to put food on the table for Thanksgiving dinner. They want to be able to put gas in their car, and yet we have an entire political party that's being held hostage by those who are made uncomfortable or seem to find their insecurities rooted in a drag queen sharing how tall her wig is. If people wearing a wig reading Redfish, Bluefish at your public library is the most concerning thing happening in your community, I would say you've probably got it pretty easy. We have a lot of problems in this country, but that person you just saw on the screen is not one of them. They're and these bad. people should be absolutely ashamed of themselves that their rhetoric, that their vile language has turned into violence in a community that is now trying. You have anti-LGBTQ rhetoric spewed on the most watched hours on Fox News at a regular clip against the U.S. military, against gay men and women, against gay teachers, against their right to exist. Speak to the dehumanization that goes on all day, every day in America. I mean, it's absolutely repulsive to watch the number of people in the wake of this horrific tragedy not wanting to take any responsibility. You know, hate doesn't exist in a vacuum. And this has been a record year, 2022, for anti-LGBTQ legislation led by the GOP, anti-trans legislation. And we now see libs of TikTok on the very same day that this shooting happened, targeting another drag show in Colorado. We've seen windows being smashed at gay bars. We've seen militia members lining up outside of these places, and it is just a tinderbox waiting to explode. So anybody who's out there claiming free speech or trying to distance themselves from it, yes, we have free speech in this country, but it has consequences, and you can't take part in this continued onslaught of words against the LGBTQ community and not look at this and have blood on your hands. Wow. Prosecutors and police, they found quickly what they needed. That means they know this was a biased crime. Th this is likely, and since we've heard reports that the subject isn't cooperating with police, that means they likely found clear and convincing evidence on his devices. If he's a consumer of the people we just rattled off, from Lauren Boebert to Tucker Carlson, let's get it out. Let's get it out at trial. Let's expose it for what it is, name it and shame it. He's a consumer of these people, and those people should, should face civil consequences from the victims. Um, the other thing they, they want to deny is not only the, the safe harbor, but the way we resolve this. And by that, I mean, you know, you asked earlier, how do we how do we put a stop to hate? Well, one of the things you would normally do is teach young children in school. Um, here's what race is about here. Here's what these other people over here who may seem different to you. Um, they have a different orientation. But you know what? Increasingly, states are saying, no, 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 you can't talk about race. Yeah or say the word gay, or teach anything in, in schools. So, so, We respect all of our community members, including our LGBTQ community. Therefore, we will be identifying the victims by how they identify themselves and how their families have loved and identified them. The first person I'll identify is Kelly Loving. Kelly's pronouns are she, her. Daniel Aston. Daniel's pronouns are he, him. Derek Rump. Derek pronoun Derek's pronouns are he, him. 
Ashley Paw, and that's P-A-U-G-H. Ashley's pronouns are she, her. Raymond Green Vance, Raymond's pronouns are he, him. I wanted to ensure that every victim, family member, and friends of victims, and all of our community members know that our officers and detectives will continue to be diligent and thorough in our work to hold the suspects accountable for these horrendous acts. I also want to reiterate... But that's not violent rhetoric. None of that. Ben Collins, Zadrowski... In our microscopic world, binary categorizations and absolutes seem to be the norm, but if we tunnel down to the smallest, most elementary particles of our universe, we enter a world where chaos and queerness reign supreme. White kids described as predators in school. Nothing wrong with that. Here's another mermaid event. There's mermaids. Mermaids are everywhere. It's very important to have mermaids. Mermaids are important. The problem is, the shooter of the Q nightclub was queer. So... Attorneys for the accused shooter, Anderson Lee Aldrich, say in new court filings tonight that the suspect now identifies as non-binary. In a footnote to a motion asserting legal privileges, the public defenders say, quote, Anderson Aldrich is non-binary. They use they, them pronouns. And for the purposes of all formal filings will be addressed as Mix Aldrich. So in other words, not Mr. or Ms. Joining me now, CNN political commentator Errol Lewis, also back with me, Al Franken and Joe Walsh. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, that's not anything that we had heard from his background. You know, people have been looking into his background. And uh, I don't know if anybody here, are you guys lawyers? I no. mean, you know, I don't know if, the, I, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, th- it, that's what he's now saying. It, it sounds like they're trying to prepare a defense against a hate crimes charge. That's the least of his problems, legally speaking. But it looks like they're trying to build some kind of sympathy or at least confusion on the question of whether or not this was purely motivated by hate. Such a, I mean, that is what it sounds like. That's why you stopped seeing it. He was queer. It's our soccer team. They're in another country. Their country doesn't believe in gay. Homosexuality is not okay. But they put pride flags. Finally stopped the, the, the um, armbands and pushing the alcohol. Trying to see if this is it. In scores of countries, including parts of the U.S., transgender people must undergo painful, complex surgeries that often render them sterile before their genders are legally recognized, a practice human rights group have condemned as torture. AP got crushed for that one. But that's kind of a given, isn't it? I mean, don't we already know that? USA Today, at least 32 transgender people killed in the U.S. report finds. How many straight people were killed? New York Times. There are no lone wolves, write the New York Times editorial board. America must recognize that violent white supremacy is a global problem. 
because he was white and they were running that down because it was good clickbait. But then people like uh, the Federalists suspecting Colorado Springs shooting claims to be non-binary uses they, them. And oh my God, what do we do now? We have lost our edge. I was going to read a whole op-ed, the Colorado massacre cannot be blamed. It's behind the paywall now because I guess my subscription ended. A mental illness is rooted in hate. And in that article, just like all the other ones, is directly conservatives' faults. Specifically, Tucker Carlson and Ben Shapiro. So here's Tucker Carlson and Ben Shapiro responding to this Tom fucking foolery. Again and again and again, we see in public life, when there is a threat against a person of the right, when there is an attack by a member of a, of a left-wing organization or a, an intersectional identity associated with the left against someone else, that we don't tie that to a broader ideology. We don't attempt to suggest that it's the fault of everyone who has general, who has general beliefs in, in a broader social system. Instead, we say, well, that's an individual and he believes an extreme thing and that person ought to be ostracized, obviously. But when it comes to the right, then the idea is that if a person who we don't even know what his views are on any of this stuff yet, even if it turns out this person has a manifesto that is wildly, horrifically anti-gay, for example, does that mean that everybody who believes that same-sex marriage is wrong, a societally approved same-sex marriage is, is wrong, does that mean everybody is now guilty for a person who goes and shoots up a, a nightclub? This sort of game is really ugly. It's really hideous. And again, it is only played by one side of the political aisle. I've been saying for my entire career, as far as I'm aware, that when you have an act of violence and the person who commits that act of violence is a whack job who is misinterpreting the words of a, a movement or a politician, that, that that person is not reflective of the movement or politician. When a, a Black Lives Matter fellow traveler murders Dallas police officers in 2015, that is not the fault of Barack Obama. It's actually not even the fault of Black Lives Matter. When, when Bernie Sanders, when a Bernie Sanders supporter shoots up a congressional baseball game, that's not the fault of Bernie Sanders. And yet the entire left-wing media infrastructure and Democratic Party will immediately shift into, if you don't support every element of our radical social agenda, then you are responsible for murder. It's an ugly, stupid game that is directed specifically at silencing people who disagree with you. And, and you're seeing the media do this immediately. So the idea here is that the, the, this is tied to a, a broader movement. And, and you, again, see this over and over again from the left. So Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez being irrepre irrepressibly foolish. She had a series of tweets on this. So Lauren Boebert, who represents this area, she tweeted out, the news out of Colorado Springs is absolutely awful. This morning, the victims and their families are in my prayers. The lawless violence needs to end and end quickly, and which is a fine statement. There's nothing wrong with that statement. AOC immediately tweeted, Lauren Boebert, you have played a major role in elevating anti-LGBT plus hate rhetoric and anti-trans laws while spending your time in Congress blocking even the most common sense gun safety laws. You don't get to thoughts and prayers your way out of this. Look inward and change. Unless you reflect the progressive ideology of AOC, you are responsible for murder. So again, if you say that boys are boys and girls are girls, and if you say that we should not surgically mutilate 16-year-old girls who 
wrongly believe they are boys. This means that you are complicit in a, a person who had a history of threatening his own mother with a bomb, shooting a bunch of gay people in a nightclub in Colorado Springs. This is the take from AOC. And then she, she broadened this out. She said, after Trump elevated anti-immigrant and anti-Latino rhetoric, we had the deadliest anti-Latino shooting in modern history. After anti-Asian hate with COVID, Atlanta, Tree of Life, Emmanuel AME, Buffalo. And now after an LGBT plus campaign, anti-LGBT plus campaign, Colorado Springs. Connect the dots, GOP. Well, the problem is that those dots don't connect. I mean, first of all, the quote-unquote anti-Asian hate attack in Atlanta was directed against sex workers. Right? The, 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 I mean, that, that's what it was. And, and when she suggests that Emmanuel AME is the fault of Donald Trump, which is what she's suggesting there, Emmanuel AME happened, I checked the date, the day after Donald Trump announced for the presidency. He was not responsible. Like, there, there's no relationship there. When it comes to the, the Buffalo shooter, the Buffalo shooter in his manifesto actively dissociates from Trump. If we're going to talk about anti-LGBT rhetoric and, and attacks, the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting was not connected with, quote unquote, right wing rhetoric. It was connected with a person who appeared to be a radical Muslim. Like the, the, the only dots that connect here are that law enforcement has all of these people on their screen and they miss every single one of them. That's the dot that apparently needs to be connected. But again, the, the idea here from AOC and company is always and forever that if something terrible happens, then we can connect it to our political opponents. Chasen Buttigieg did the same routine. He be Pete Buttigieg's husband. He tweeted out at Lauren Boebert, you encourage this type of hatred. Get off Twitter and start looking inward. Look inward, look inward, look inward. Again, I'm not going to be lectured on looking inward by people who use the actual instances of horrific evil violence as an excuse to attack political opponents who are not in favor of the horrific evil violence. Did Lauren Boebert call for shootings at, at nightclubs? Did I miss that part? Who, who's called for that? Like, I'm, I'm going to need some evidence that these things are connected as opposed to you just saying it. And we see this over and over and over again. I mean, going all the way back to the, the shooter of Gabby Giffords being linked to Sarah Palin without any evidence whatsoever. This is the stupid game. Nancy Pelosi, by the way, did the exact same thing. Nancy Pelosi put out a statement suggesting that it was the fault of MAGA Republicans that this had happened. So she, she put out this, this long statement. Remember, this is the moderate, historic Speaker of the House. This is the person who brought Americans together as a historic figure. The, the thing Nancy Pelosi should be remembered for is that she was an extraordinary, extraordinarily polarizing political figure who had no fear whatsoever of saying the most ridiculous, absurd, and insulting things about her political opponents. You know, for, for folks on the left who are constantly talking about how Donald Trump polarized the environment and Donald Trump made things worse and Donald Trump created this giant rift in American public life, Nancy Pelosi is a major factor in that. As I've said before, Donald Trump was the coroner. He was not the killer. Nancy Pelosi, she put out this statement, quote, as our nation marks Transgender Day of Remembrance, the House Democratic Caucus mourns the countless Americans stolen away by the scourge of transphobic violence, a crisis that continues to disproportionately harm trans people of color. By the way, statistically speaking, the idea that there is a wild, disproportionate wave of violence against trans people on the basis of being trans, there's no evidence to actually suggest that that is true. Listen, every murder, every hate crime is evil. But the, the notion that transgender people are being disproportionately targeted in the United States for death by apparently raging MAGA hat wearing pieces of crap, the evidence for that does not actually exist statistically speaking. Anyway, Nancy Pelosi says, that fight remains more urgent than ever as right-wing extremists target transgender Americans' most fundamental rights and freedoms. 
Whether spouting dangerous rhetoric from cable news desks or openly bullying school children from the halls of power. Bullying school children? It seems to me that bullying school children amounts to taking five-year-olds and indoctrinating them in the idea they can be members of the opposite sex and insisting that we not actually inform their parents of any of this. That seems like bullying. But she continues, MAGA Republicans are cruelly undermining the safety and well-being of our transgender community. I'm not sure what the connection is between saying a boy can't be a girl and a girl can't be a boy and go shoot the person who is doing that. So there are a bunch of dots that are just not being connected by Nancy Pelosi here, but you don't need the dots. The dots don't need to be connected. They don't even need to be dots. The entire idea here is my opponents are, are evil. Therefore, I will attribute the most evil of actions to people who are not even at this point associated with them and people who, again, there is no evidence drew inspiration from them. And even if they did, there's no evidence that person is sane in the first place. She says, horrified by such shameless bigotry, House Democrats are proud to march along our trans friends, neighbors, and siblings as we work to uphold justice and dignity for all. That is why we enacted fully inclusive federal hate crime protections with the historic Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act. It's why the Democratic House has twice passed the Equality Act, landmark legislation extending the full protections of the Civil Rights Act to LGBTQ Americans. Again, the idea here is that if you vote against the Equality Act, which is the greatest single violation of religious freedom in the history of the United States, that if you vote for that, th if you don't vote for that thing, then you are complicit in murder. Quote, heartbroken for so many beautiful souls murdered by hate and guided by relentless activists across the country, let us renew our resolve to build the future our children deserve. Together, we will forge a safer, more just America, one where people of, uh, where all of its people can freely and proudly exercise their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That, that is an amazing statement there by Nancy Pelosi. A again, the idea is that, that if you do not, if you do not back Nancy Pelosi's radical left-wing agenda, then you must be guilty of murder. And then people wonder why polarization in American politics is getting worse. The one thing that I generally will not say about my political opponents is that they are, they are people who are engaged in wanton murder of, my, uh, of people like me. Like that's, that's, that's not something that I generally do. Like Ilhan Omar is an anti-Semite, but I do not believe that Ilhan Omar is responsible for wanton murder of Jews. She hasn't openly called for that. Yeah, they, like they, this is it's it's so embedded apparently in our political rhetoric at this point that the left just gets to do this. That as soon as there is an attack, regardless of the evidence, before the evidence is even in, you can immediately just say, "Well, probably this is Lauren Boebert's fault, or probably this is Tucker Carlson's fault, or probably this is Matt Walsh's fault, or maybe it's libs of TikTok." There are people literally on Twitter yesterday who are saying that libs of TikTok is responsible for this attack because libs of TikTok posts video of drag queen performances in front of small children. People must never be made aware of this. If they're made aware of this, then obviously they go on massive shooting sprees in Colorado Springs. And that is the fault of libs of TikTok. That's the real problem here. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. On Saturday night, as you may now have read, a 22-year-old man called Anderson Lee Aldrich walked into a gay nightclub in Colorado Springs and opened fire. By the time he was subdued by patrons, he had murdered five people and injured another 25. You've seen this story before, but no matter how many times you've seen it, it never stops being horrifying, and it shouldn't stop. Violence and cruelty should always horrify us every single time. When we start to become cynical about the deaths of other human beings, we have lost something essential to our humanity. Unfortunately, you're seeing that. So the most obvious question is, why did Anderson Lee Aldrich shoot 30 people? And the truth is, we don't know. We do know he was clearly a troubled person. Last summer, he threatened to blow up his mother's house with a bomb. Authorities had to evacuate the neighborhood during the four-hour standoff that ensued. 
Eventually, he surrendered. You are seeing this video first on CNN. That shows the alleged gunman, 22-year-old Anderson Lee Aldrich, surrendering to law enforcement. This is just a year ago, in June of 2021, after allegedly making a bomb threat on his own mother. So after that happened, he, of course, was arrested and charged with first-degree kidnapping and felony menacing. But then the local district attorney, a man called Michael J. Allen, did not pursue charges. Why? We reached out to Allen's, Allen's office today to find out why, but he did not get back to us, so we can only guess. We do know what the effect was. Because Aldrich was never charged with a crime and his arrest record was sealed, his violent past did not show up in background checks. Threatening to murder his own mother did not prevent him from buying a firearm, even under Colorado's so-called red flag law, which was designed to prevent that very thing. So those are the facts. That's what we know so far. Once again, authorities failed to keep the public safe. They didn't do their job. You may recognize now a pattern because you have seen that before. As for Aldrich's motive in shooting strangers, we can only guess. And we're not going to guess, both because guessing would be dishonest and irresponsible. You can't just make up a story because it suits your pre-existing beliefs. But more to the point, we're not going to guess because it would dishonor the memories of the five people who were just murdered in Colorado Springs. These were human beings. They were Americans. They were not props in a larger ideological war. And to reduce them to that is wrong. That's exactly what many politicians are doing right now. Within hours of the shootings, Joe Biden and his allies used this tragedy as a pretext for disarming the law-abiding population of the country. We need more gun control, Joe Biden said predictably, notwithstanding the fact that Colorado's existing gun control laws, which are extensive, did not prevent this attack. So it was a contemptible and heartless and deeply cynical display of political opportunism. But it didn't stop with gun control. Because, in fact, the Second Amendment is not the freedom that threatens the people in charge the most. No, that would be the First Amendment, which is your right to say what you sincerely believe. That is the right, the first in our Bill of Rights, that terrifies them the most. Your words are a greater threat than any firearm. They must censor you or else they lose power. It is that simple. So these Horrifying murders in Colorado over the weekend quickly became a pretext for yet more censorship of your speech. You are responsible for this, they told you, because you said the wrong things. You are guilty of stochastic terrorism, inspiring violence by your beliefs. Anderson Lee Aldrich committed mass murder because you complained about the sexualizing of children. Every time you object to drag time story hour for fifth graders, or point out that genital mutilation is being committed on minors, which it is, every time you say that, you are putting people's lives at risk. Now that seems implausible, and yet many are making this claim. Many have made it over the past 24 hours. Watch, for example, Brandy Zedrozny of NBC. Online, including this Libs of TikTok account, which feeds um, larger media like Fox News stories, what has happened is a demonization of LGBTQ people, um, calling them groomers and pedophiles. This type of thing, whether we can say it's motive or not, what we know is that it's just another reason why LGBTQ people are scared. So there it is, right there. When you point out the truth, indisputably, and the truth is that some adults in this country, apparently a growing number, have a deeply unhealthy fixation on the sexuality of children. When you say that out loud, you get people killed. That is what Brandy Zedrozny is saying. 
And by saying that, Brandy Zedrozny and the many people like her are effectively defending that same deeply unhealthy fixation on the sexuality of children. By the way, it's absolutely real. You're not imagining that. It's happening. The evidence is everywhere, and it comes to light on the Internet. And Brandy Zedrozny and people like her hate that you're seeing that. Notice that Zedrozny is not claiming that libs of TikTok is making this up. She never even suggests that. She is threatening them, and what she's doing is threatening them, you should know. And she's doing that because they're pointing it out. Noticing it's happening is their crime. And once again, it is happening. Children's Hospital in Boston, one of the most famous hospitals in the world, has admitted performing double mastectomies on children for no medical reason at all. There is no scientific justification for sexually mutilating kids. They are not doing it for a scientifically defensible reason. They are doing it because they believe in a very specific religious ideology. That's true. Is pointing that out an attack on gay people? Of course it is not an attack on gay people. It has nothing to do with gay people. It has to do with sexually mutilating children, which is wrong, period. It should be a crime, period. And yet suddenly it's very common. As we've reported on this show, UCSF, University of California, San Francisco Hospital, one of the leading hospitals in the world, is doing this as well. And they've said so out loud. This is an actual quote from their website. Quote, genital surgery is being performed on a case-by-case -case basis more frequently in minors. In the absence of solid evidence, providers often must rely on the expert opinions of innovators and thought leaders in the field. So your child gets sexually mutilated genital surgery that is irreversible, not on the basis of science, but on the basis of innovators and thought leaders. It's hard to believe that's happening. That quote was scrubbed, by the way, after we reported on it, not because it wasn't a real quote, but because it was a real quote. It was too incriminating. Once again, this is everywhere. A parent in Pennsylvania called Megan Brock decided to do some actual reporting on it because actual reporters choose not to. They look away and attack anyone who wants to know what's actually happening. So she filed a records request. And this week she obtained a 2017 email from Dr. Nadia Dauschen at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Again, one of the most famous hospitals in the world known as CHOP, a widely beloved institution that has helped very many. But in this case, what they were doing shocks the senses. In a communication with now HHS Secretary Rachel Levine, she wrote this, quote, I'm not aware of existing literature, this is Dauschen, but certainly it is happening. I think we've had more than 10 patients who have had chest surgery under 18, as young as 15, and bottom surgery, 17. That's the sexual mutilation of children for no medical or scientific reason simply because right now it is fashionable and consistent with a cult that has taken over a lot of the leadership of this country. But the fact remains, children are being destroyed by this. It should be a crime. The people who commit it should be in jail. But it's not just the sexual mutilation of children in hospitals. This is part of a larger trend, and the trend is this. Adults crossing the line, and it has always been a bright line, into deep involvement with the sexuality of children. That has always been and must in a civilized society always be the most forbidden thing. It's considered unacceptable even among prison inmates. But now it seems to be growing in its prevalence. Consider the latest ad for the clothing brand 
Balenciaga. This was just uploaded on Instagram. As you can see, the photo shoot they're using to sell their products features a young girl holding a teddy bear in a bondage outfit. Then, in case you missed the point, the photo shoot also contains this image. It shows several documents. Most of them aren't visible, but what you can see when you zoom in, and of course the point is that you see it, is a reference to a U.S. Supreme Court case called Ashcroft versus Free Speech Coalition. That case struck down a law against kiddie porn. What is this? Well, it is what it appears to be. It's an endorsement of kiddie porn, of child pornography. What else could it be? We wanted to know. So we reached out today to Balenciaga to get their explanation, and they didn't respond. So we're going to have to take that on face value and ask, where's the moral outrage? We have an entire industry uh, in this country comprised of moral outrage merchants. If you've ever been on Twitter, you know what we mean. Truly, an entire sector of our economy is devoted to attacking people for falling short of the mark. And here is a high-end retailer promoting kiddie porn in an ad on Instagram, and nobody notices. There's no boycott. There's no front-page New York Times editorial against it. And, of course, Instagram let the advertisement run, endorsing kiddie porn. And, by the way, if you have an alternate explanation for what this was, let us know. A child with a teddy bear in a bondage outfit and a Supreme Court decision striking down a kiddie porn law displayed on the table? What is that? Are we jumping to conclusions? Don't think so. It is what it appears to be. It's right in your face, and no one's saying anything. Again, Instagram had no problem with this. Until Elon Musk took over Twitter, Twitter allowed hashtags that explicitly linked to child pornography. Nobody said anything because crimes against children are no big deal. It's thought crimes that are the real crimes. So if you said something about it, if you were libs of TikTok and said, wait a second, this seems to be abetting child molestation, which, of course, that's what it's doing. You were instantly booted off Twitter. But the links to kiddie porn, they're still there. Well, now they've been deleted. Thank God. That's one improvement. So all of this has been happening out in the open, but NBC News hasn't bothered to report on any of it. Where is their report tonight on Balenciaga pushing kitty porn in an Instagram ad? No. They're reserving all their energy to attack you for noticing. You're a stochastic terrorist if you point it out. And you need to be censored. Watch. Content moderation is a hard task. Um, what we know is that Twitter and, and where the bulk of this information is right now, because that's where the biggest accounts like Matt Walsh um, and Libs of TikTok again, where they sort of post this stuff. Um, what's being done? Well, two days ago, we know that Elon Musk, who owns Twitter now, he just reversed the policy that Twitter did have against targeting and harassment of LGBTQ people, against misgendering transgender people. So here you have people mutilating the genitals of children, running ads on Instagram, promoting kiddie porn. And there's Brandy Zadrozny on NBC News. She's not attacking them. She's attacking anyone who notices and accusing them of attacking gay people. Once again, this has nothing to do with gay people. This is an attack on the sexual fixation on and mutilation of the genitals of children pushing kiddie porn. There's nothing to do with gay people. That's an offense against anyone's definition of decency, and she's effectively defending it, and they all are. You're not allowed to notice it, or else you're committing violence. You're complicit in mass murder. Well, the people who are doing these things are fine. No one attacks them. An ACLU spokesman launched this attack on Doug Lamborn, a congressman from Colorado. Watch this. 
He voted against the Respect for Marriage Act and is a co-sponsor of Marjorie Taylor Greene's nationwide ban on gender-affirming care for trans youth. Huh? That's the crime? Children having their genitals mutilated on the basis of no science, no actual real medical guidance, no longitudinal study? There's no evidence this is a good idea, but GLAD is for it, so doctors mindlessly do it? And you can't complain or else you're a murderer? Too crazy. These are our children. Can't put up with it. For her part, Glad's president declared that because of Saturday's shooting, you need to shut up while activists mutil doctors mutilate children. In terms of trans kids and gender-affirming care, the American Medical Association, the Pediatric Association, has confirmed that these are safe procedures. This is finished business. It's politicians and junk science who's creating some kind of debate or argument about this. Really? Now, we realize she's paid to say that, of course. All these activists are paid to say what they say. Very specifically paid. ACLU's paid to say what they say. They all are. ADL's paid to say what it says. GLAD is paid to say what it says. But the truth is, the no BS scientific truth is, there's no evidence it's safe. Where's the 10-year study on that? Do you have one? Oh, you don't have one. We have no idea what the long-term effects of puberty blockers are. We have no idea. We can't even guess as the long-term psychological effects of genital mutilation on a 17-year-old or 15-year-old. What? You have no idea it's safe. You're lying. It's not a safe procedure. We've spoken to a lot of victims of this barbarism, and it is barbarism. We did a whole documentary on it. And by the end of the documentary, we were more shocked than when we started reporting it out. Even people who support these procedures can't actually defend them. And that's the whole point. They have to make you shut up because they don't have any facts on their side. If you're not okay with child abuse, you're a murderer. And it's worked on a lot of weak-minded journalists who only care about status and acceptance by the group. But there are a few on whom it has not worked. At the top of that list is Chris Rufo. Now, I want to, once again, play our trans abuse. But before we do, for the longest time, I was joking with my pronouns and saying it and that. And son of a bitch, that's already a thing. So for me, gender is complicated because I would rather not be associated with it to the point where I would rather not be a human or even an animal. I would like to be an inanimate object. So I use it, its pronouns, but nobody uses them for me. I just have them in my bio. Nobody's comfortable with them. But I would like people to use them because that further removes me from the gender binary to the point where I am just an object, just a piece of grass, if you will. Um, so I would just like to not be a human being, um, let alone have a gender. I felt that I belonged nowhere. I was different, yet unable to accept my differences. Just like these kids who believe that they're transgender today. Every forward step in my transition, at first, brought elation, but it was ephemeral. As the joy faded, I was encouraged to take the next step, and then the next step. I was not only a cash cow, I was a willing disciple. I'm seven years post-trans, and just like the only long-term study predicted, I have regret. But after nearly dying from transition surgeries, I cannot detransition. I cannot endure another knife into my skin or open myself up for more stares and questions. I accept my body today because I have to. So now, let's jump to kids. Kids with no life experience, 
kids who are awkward, uncomfortable in their skin, the children that genuinely don't fit, the autistic kids, the abused kids, the mentally ill kids, the gifted artsy, and of course the same-sex attractive kids. These are the vulnerable kid children who are looking for a way to belong or for a way to escape their weirdness, their superpower of being different. They go to school and hear from their teachers that they can change their gender, change their name, and become somebody else. They believe the lie that they can be cured of their differences. If they just begin the process of transition, all their feelings of not belonging will disappear. Instantly, they will be celebrated as brave and authentic, and they will rise to stardom. These kids go on social media and make accounts with their FTM, MTF, or non-binary descriptions, and then tens of thousands of strangers cheer them on. The algorithms throw TikTok videos of supposedly happy transition, transition people making double mastectomies look like mm, Disneyland. Surgeons advertise their services to children. Influencers instruct children on how to lie and get hormones and puberty blockers without their parents even knowing. Boston Children's Hospital created a series of lighthearted videos explaining the various surgeries that are available for teenagers and young adults, as did the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. We know that girls are getting their breasts cut off at 13. 13. We don't know anything at 13. I didn't. Hell, I didn't even know anything at 42. We know that little boys are getting drugs that stop their penises from ever growing. Turn on the TV, and you can watch a reality show of minors going through surgeries that invert their penises into fake vaginal cavities. These children need to be permitted to grow and go through natural puberty. They should have a chance to get comfortable in their developing bodies, but instead the medical community is pushing gender non-conforming children into having medical procedures. Many of these kids would just turn out to be gay instead they are lifelong medical patients. Each patient gives the medical complex millions of dollars and in exchange, they continue to have complications, difficulty finding romantic partners, and they will never have biological children. So we can stop the discussion about what is and what isn't. I mean, this is the law. I don't care what ACLU says. I don't know if they've read these books. We know our rights as parents, and we know that right now our rights are being infringed upon. So I'm gonna read from, from this book. I didn't want to, I have not had to do that up to this point, but considering that someone said that this book should go back on the shelf, and by the way, I'll pay the library fine, I'm not returning this book. So you can reorder it, whatever you're gonna do. Hey Elias, where'd you go? I'm in here with Mark and Bobby. Hey guys, what you doing? Taking care of business, have a seat. Huh, why is it so dark in here? Can I come in now? No, you're too young. No, I'm not. Fine, but you'll have to prove it. I will. Uh-oh, I think I figured out what taking care of business means. We're each busting a load into this bottle. If you don't come, you have to drink it. Ha, ha, ha. Give me that, I'll show you. I learned about masturbation two years ago, kind of by accident. No one ever told me what it was. One day when everyone was out of the house, I came across a videotape hidden behind the TV. My dad had hidden uh, movies before with dirty scenes like Fatal Attraction. It was exciting to see boobs and butts, but this time it was different. I could see everything. People were doing things that I didn't even know were possible or even allowed. Thank you.
Next, Hussein Galan would like to come to speak to the board. I'm sorry, Hussein would like. I will always advocate for a teacher, but like, mm -hmm. I, I, you gotta know your place. I, my goal is not to sit there and teach ch a child about sexual orientation and identity. Right. My job is if, if Joanne has two moms to let you know that some kids have two moms and we'll leave it at that. And you're, when you say open the book, get, open the book and then give it to a parent and yeah. the parent can explain whatever you as a family unit think about that great but i want them to know in this classroom it's okay that that she has two moms some people have that we're moving on now i'm not going to get go into detail yeah. with you about that i'm just i want that student to know that she's not othered and that's great she has two moms and now we're going to move i don't i don't want to teach that because quite frankly i i, do, I don't know enough about how ch a child will process that at five i just want that ch that five-year-old who does have two moms to feel safe For a child to believe something, you have to tell them 14 times before they start to believe it. This was my daughter at ninth, in ninth grade. By the end of the year, three of the teachers that she had in her classrooms were repeating things to her. She began cutting herself. She became depressed. By the end of the school year, she was also calling herself by a different name. This parent was not informed of these things. I came in for an open house for art, and I saw her name was something different. I am her parent, and as a parent, I should be informed of these things. This is a mental health issue that needed to be addressed. So her second year, under the disguise of a fundraiser, one of the teachers who was encouraging her in these behaviors also um, took these children and had their heads shaved for a fundraiser so they'd look more like what they identified with. I just wanna say that here I am today and my child has now removed her breasts, is taking testosterone. This causes atrophy. It causes the muscles in her vagina to collapse to the point of incontinence. But these are not the facts that anyone shares with you. And it only takes 14 times for a child to start believing this. I'm asking this board to be monitoring what your teachers 
are saying to these children. I am asking you that these parents do not have to suffer through this like I have. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the thing. We understand what the patriarchy is, right? They created the patriarchy, you know, to put men in boxes and to put women in boxes. But the patriarchy is inherently misogynistic because women get treated treated like shit historically right and it's in it's inherently transphobic so the reason why period is so synonymous with bleeding is because they wanted to exclude trans people and non-binary people cis women are not the only ones that experience periods at the end of the day whether it's hormones whether it's your body producing hormones whether you are a cis woman and have to take hormones that hormonal period is valid not everybody bleeds and i don't understand why wouldn't you want to be inclusive why are you trying to gatekeep and it's because most cis women feel like their reproduction is the only thing they can offer they're a female that's all they have and that's kind of sad that you broil yourself down to your fucking body parts hello we get our hormonal cycle once a month. If we want to call it a fucking period, we're going to do that. You're just a pick me, trying to collect your bag, act a fool, but it's going to be expanded just like a lot of things in a society. And if you don't like it, you can go over there with the Republicans and your little cishet people. Hello? Speaking of anti-trans legislation, you've been elected for the new legislative session that starts in January, and there are already some pre-filed anti-trans bills, one in particular that would restrict transgender surgery on minors. What's your message to your new colleagues about legislation like that? My message is simple. We see all of the elections across the country um, where LGBTQ people have been elected, a wave of trans people being elected. When you take away the larger media narrative uh, that the right is pushing and you get down to my like local communities like mine here in Missoula, trans people are accepted, we are loved, and we are cared about. And you're never far away from someone who cares deeply about us. And pushing anti-trans issues isn't what my community wants, isn't what Montana wants. We've, we've seen a number of those anti-trans messages on the campaign trail this cycle, in particular a number of Republican candidates that have falsely accused LGBTQ teachers of, quote, trying to groom students, as well as there was a New Hampshire Republican candidate that lost but said falsely that uh, teachers were trying to put litter boxes in classes so students could identify as cats and also accusing Democrats of trying to put drag queens in every classroom. What's your response to this growing anti-LGBTQ sentiment on the right? My response would be that hate can only stoke fear for so long. And the people who know trans people in their lives know that we are just like anyone else, um, worthy of love, and we bring a ton of joy into the world. And if the right continues to push these kind of anti-LGBTQ attacks that we're seeing, as you say, pre-filed already here in 22, looking forward, what's going to happen is ultimately they're going to continue to lose because our community has the backing of the people, of our neighbors, our friends. And when we get to the legislature, we will fight like hell to make sure that they know that. Representative-elect Zoe Zephyr of Montana, thank you for joining the news hour. Thank you so much for having me.
And, and as we mentioned, this has been a historic year for LGBTQ candidates, the most ever elected, with 436 who have won so far. They're at all levels, from neighborhood advisory uh, council all the way up to uh, governors. And what does that representation mean to you? You know, it's less about what it means for me, and it more so means that when these attacks are being made in the legislature, they will have to be made next to LGBTQ people. When the states that have LGBTQ governors are facing um, attacks, there will be someone in the community to stop it. Their representation matters, not theoretically, but it is the best defense we have against hate. You made history in your election in Montana, but to reach parity, the LGBTQ Victory Institute says that some 35,000 more LGBTQ people would have to be elected. What do you say to others who might be thinking about running, and what are your future ambitions? To others who are interested in running, I would say the first step is to ground yourself in your community. Do work in your community, and you will find that they love you and support you. And if you do that work, then look for it and try to get into the rooms where you think you can make a difference. It is all about finding the spaces um, where your voice can have impact. Um, as for my future ambitions, uh, all I want is to be in the rooms where I can do the most good. And right now, the fights are at the state level, and that's where I want to be. It's why I moved from working on drafting legislation uh, behind the scenes at the city level to stepping forward to the state level, because this is the room where the laws, where the biggest attacks are happening and where we need representation the most. I know that was long, but let's be, be honest about this. People are sick of this shit. They don't want their kids sexualized. They don't want their kids brainwashed. They don't want their kids transitioned or changing names and doing things that's behind the f fucking teachers they're literally doing it it is it's just fucking insane that it's just hard to believe it is so hard to believe that they're doing this i i, I never thought we'd be in a spot where our country would be like this that we're pushing this far left sexualization of kids where minor attracted persons, a thing we used to joke about it on the show. All of this, I say it every show, I know it's annoying, but all of this was a joke in 2016. Now we have an attorney general who's got a dick but wears dresses. That's how far this leftward tilt has in the fad of getting attention and changing your sexuality has become. And it's just sick. So most of those videos are parents going, what the fuck, Chuck? But it's easy if you look at what we're dealing with. This is CBS News as we change subjects and we go into Twitter. They pulled their Twitter because somehow, somehow, some way, Having Musk run it, they were unsafe. And the gnashing of teeth over Twitter is, is, is something, something to be seen.
ramifications would that have if that's what happens? Yeah, Twitter is really like the digital town square, right? It's a hugely important communications platform. Rural leaders use it. The president of the United States is on there. The Pentagon is on there. Uh, dissidents in foreign countries with, with oppressive regimes use Twitter to organize. Celebrities, brands, they make important announcements on there. Journalists like us use it to news gather. And so it's so much more than just a social media website. And so if it were to, uh, to end, to die, uh, it would disrupt the flow of information across the globe. I mean, it would have some serious ramifications. Your thoughts on, on the Trump reinstated back to Twitter with, uh, with Elon Musk? Joking aside, how do, you, uh, how do you see this? I mean, you can joke if well, you want. I'm just saying, like, I'm giving it to you however you want to take. <laughs> and I will, I will give it back straight, which is that I'm absolutely disgusted. But what else do we expect from very white, privileged, cis, hetero men protecting each other because we always mistake wealth and inheritance for genius. So yay, Elon Musk gets what he wants, his buddy back on the air, in order to finish burning down democracy while he finishes burning down the town square. And, on that and again, as the owner of these companies, he can fire anyone he wants. Uh, he can do whatever he wants inside of those companies. But when he's dealing with the federal government in terms of federal laws, he's not free to do that. You cannot ignore what the federal government is requiring of your company. And that goes for safety rules in your vehicles, and it also goes for guardrails. Uh, that have to be built around social media sites that are allowing for uh, Twitter for $8 to give someone an ability to impersonate who they are. And it, they could be impersonating the fact that they're the CDC or Eli Willie or yes. uh, Lily or a United States senator. Yes. That is not permissible. And they would pay, they will pay a price if they don't put safeguards in place at Twitter. There were articles. There was gnashing of teeth. My God in heaven, what is wrong with him? Oh, I also forgot to say that the NHL said uh, trans women are women, trans men are men, non-binary identifier is real. They got bullied. Yeah. New York Times, I was at a trusted safety at Twitter. Now that I'm gone, we're all fucked. Triggered by must, CBS News announces spending all Twitter activity. As I said, they came back 24 hours later because it wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't that unsafe. These people, remember, they're all the people that backed this jackass. Here is our fucking sink moment. President Biden made history over the weekend, becoming the first octogenarian to occupy the Oval Office. He quietly celebrated with a private brunch with his family at the White House as he turned an age that he has choked he can hardly say. I can't even say the age I'm going to be. I can't even get it out of my mouth. <laughs> I can't. I, mean, I swear to God, it's like, no, come on, that can't be true. 
The milestone 80th birthday has renewed attention on the president's age. Given Biden said recently he does plan to spend the next few months talking with his family about whether to follow through on his stated intention to seek a second term, at the end of which he would be 86. Biden himself has said he believes it's legitimate to ask about his age. Is age a legitimate issue? It is a legitimate issue. Sure it is. And I think people are going to judge it. If I were to run, I think they're going to judge me on my vitality. Can I still run up the steps of Air Force Two? Am I still in good shape? Am I, do I have all my faculties? Am I, am I energetic? I think it's totally legitimate people to ask those questions. I, I think it's a legitimate thing to be concerned about anyone's age, including mine. I think it's totally legitimate. So it's fair to ask, but Biden also has an answer ready to go for those who question whether or not he is fit to serve, often reminding his critics about his schedule and his energy level. Watch me. <laughs> Questions about a president's age are not new, as this moment with President Ronald Reagan on a debate stage in Kansas City in 1984 can tell you. I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. <laughs> Walter Mondale even laughing at that one. Let's bring in Dr. Audrey Chun. She is a geriatric medicine specialist and a professor of geriatrics at Mount Sinai Health System. Morning to you. Morning. Morning. Uh, so he said, Biden says, as long as I can run up the stairs of Air Force One, you know, judge me on what you see from me, not just the number. Is that right? I mean, how different can 80 be for folks? Yeah, I think that's the biggest point is that 80 looks different for everyone. So we always kind of joke that if you've met one 80 year old, you've met one 80 year old. There's yeah. such variability in people's function and cognition. So uh, you really can't make assumptions based on age alone. Yeah, I was going to say not all 80 year olds are created equal. I just had a um, 80th birthday party, surprise birthday party for my mom. Everyone's like, you're going to throw it up, you know, birthday. an 80 year old surprise birthday party. It's totally fine. She's younger than us. She's up. It's bright. She's up early in the morning. She texts us every morning. Good morning, every morning. morning crew. <laughs> and she's really, really sharp. But yeah. not all 80-year-olds are so sharp. That's exactly right. So we live in a wonderful age right now to get older because we are living longer and living better. So, so many people are living to 80 and having, you know, a great physical function and, and thinking clearly, but not everyone does. So there is, I mean, there just really is variability. You're at higher risk of developing some of these conditions as you get older, but not everyone gets them. What and about the respect for elders thing mm -hmm. that yeah. we talk about? Because we treat, I think, our elderly people not, we don't, support them and honor them as much as other countries is yeah. there and it's so it's a little bit difficult sometimes to talk about these issues and to speak of a president that way yeah. i'm so glad you brought that up i think one of the biggest challenges we face is ageism right it's kind of the the ism against your future self um that 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 we we don't have a culture in the United States that celebrates getting older. You know, they're, they're, you know my, my, my family is from Korea and there, and sometimes people are lie about their age to be a little bit older, you know, <laughs> to get a little extra respect, right? So all of that comes into play as to... Older than dirt. Yeah, Joe's feeling fine as he parties like he's no longer 79. <laughs> President Joe Biden celebrated his 80th birthday yesterday in typical, typical fashion, wondering where the hell he is. It marks the first time ever that an American president has turned 80 in the Oval Office. And the first time the Oval Office desk chair doubled as a toilet. Oh my God. <laughs> what? Terrible. He celebrated with his family in the White House with his favorite, a coconut cake. Did someone warn him coconuts are a natural laxative? 
Puts a smile on his face, though, and one on the teeth floating in the glass on his nightstand. So cheap. Biden and his handlers have said he's fit for the job and more than capable of running for re-election despite his advanced age. And that when he shakes hands with imaginary people, he has the grip strength of a teenager. <laughs> Joe himself has said he felt 50, which raises the question, 50 what? <laughs> Just wondering, there's a woman's college nearby, so it could be anything. As we celebrate the Commander-in-Chief, let's take a long trip down memory lane, or at least a confused meander through the Rose Garden. Two, 10, 12, 15, whoops, stepping on them. There's a, it's black, anyway. By the way, it's my little sister, Valerie, and I'm Jill's husband. Um, uh, I got hard trouble reading this. Then the percentage of the men who do so, end of quote. Repeat the line. Unlike the president, that never gets old. Now let's go to the birthday boy himself. How are you celebrating your birthday? No, 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 look, look, I'm 80 years old. But uh, happy birthday to me, happy birthday to me. I feel 50. I feel 50. That's how you get the Joe age. You subtract 30. Text Joe to minus. Do you remember all the golf trips and how Trump was wasting Americans' money and all that shit? Every weekend, he goes, it costs us $11 million. Every weekend. It's okay, though. Now, the interesting things, before I play a bumper about elections, because media's moved on, 48% of Maricopa election centers had printer or tabulator malfunctions on election day, not the previously empty 20%, and no such widespread issue reported during the early voting period that preceded the election day. So as I said last time, and I probably offended some people, they did it on purpose. So bad that the Attorney General is demanding answers to all the voting issues in Maricopa County because it looks pretty intentional here's another tweet maricopa county election chiefs from a support anti-conservative pack vast majority of their supported candidates lose a primary election machines malfunction long line shut down polling places you think that wasn't on purpose oh it is then we talk about how the left's changed so much and now we're into this new the wife's the person and if you say that you're a fucking racist or some shit. There's an article. Yeah. Mrs. Fetterman. Yeah. Other choice cuts. North Carolina. The only reason why Republicans win is because white women voted for white supremacy. Which is very interesting because you guys want women in charge, but you don't want white women. I don't know. She's a white woman. I'm confused. Salon Donald Trump. Let me get the slide up. Is a fascist version of Freddy Krueger. He wants to keep American people asleep in a fascist dream nightmare. They must wake up and vanish him, vanquish him, and American neo-fascism for all time. That is on Salon. 
Hmm. And CNN is really getting back into the flow with what does that have to do with the current situation? And that's a picture from J6. But of course, they're going to J6 it. That's that's what they do. So here's some good uh, little sound bites. of an internet poll. Trump, of course, was banned from Twitter after the January 6th insurrection for violating the company's policy against glorification of violence. Joining us now to discuss, January 6th House Committee member, Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. So Trump was taken off Twitter in the first place for inciting the violent insurrection against the Capitol. You're a member of the committee investigating the insurrection. What do you make of Elon Musk reinstating Donald Trump? Well, look, I mean, I, I get that people are on all sides of this debate. The fact that he did it with a poll of which, you know, however many percent of those could have been bots that aren't real people voting in that. Uh, secondarily, I don't know if, you know, that decision should be made by some poll. I mean, what happened, I, If remember specifically when this was all done. So not only was he lighting and accelerating the fire on January 6th, also before January 6th with his conspiracies, at the end of the day, he said, this is what you get when a victory is so unceremoniously basically taken away from the American people. So not only when it was done did he have any remorse, he said, well, of course you guys had an insurrection because that's what you get when you steal an election. I mean, I remember seeing that specific tweet and, and just being outraged at how after all this is done, can you still do that? And so now this idea that he's going to come on and be reformed, everybody knows he won't. And by the way, I'll say as a quick aside, the person probably the most upset today is Devin Nunes because this is going to tank Truth Social if he does, in fact, leave. On Friday, Attorney General Mer You know, and Stuart, I mean, is, I guess the thing is, is that there's no accountability from the Republican base, right? Or will there be any punishment or any consequences for telling your base that this is an election about inflation and crime and then doing literally nothing on those two subjects and just doing weird investigations? You know, uh, Joy, the, the thing about the Republican Party that's sometimes hard for some of us who worked in the party of grass fish, the Republican Party is what it wants to be. It is not a governing party anymore. It is a party that is about one thing, and that is the acquisition of power. Um, that's how cartels are. That's how narco cartels are. No one asks a narco cartel, what is your real purpose here? Um, and they don't care about these issues. And what's interesting is to see that voters pretty much saw that they didn't care about it. I mean, what was the Republican plan to fight inflation? What was the Republican plan to lower gas taxes? They didn't have one. Um, and because of that, they lost the election. And look, I think we exist in a world where two things are true. I don't think it's good for the country that they're going to be doing, you know, crazy stuff like going after Hunter Biden's laptop. But I tell you what, it is really good for Joe Biden's re-election chances because Americans you know, the on the whole just don't give a damn about Hunter Biden's laptop. They care about real problems. And the president has been good about actually solving problems. And I want to let you both weigh in on this, because the other thing that is clear that people really don't care about is all the things that even right-wing evangelicals have said they care about, right? Um, they did care about overturning Roe v. Wade. They don't care too much about women. But I mean, you now have 
evangelicals trying to do the wholesale shift to the new the new Jesus, which they want it to be DeSantis, <laughs> and now saying Trump used us. There's a whole piece in the Washington Post. Donald Trump can't save America. He can't even save himself. He used us to win the White House. We had to close our mouths and eyes when he said things that horrified us. Really? Because they treated Trump as if he was sent by God. Stuart first, it was all a lie, right? So we just heard from Chris Christie a moment ago saying the Republican Party was not the party that embraced the big lie. And I'm going to respectfully disagree. That is who they are. The vast majority of Republicans have embraced the big lie. They have kowtowed to whatever Trump wants. And yes, as you just mentioned, there have been moments where the party could have broken from Trump. It never, ever does. And we should tap the brakes here. Uh, you know, Trump maybe is at a weak moment at this particular, as we sit here in the middle of November, late November, uh, but polling suggests that he still has a significant lead over, say, Ron DeSantis, perhaps his most formidable 2024 uh, opponent. And, and Mike Barnacle, there does, it is encouraging, I suppose, for some Republicans to see that there are some voices who are willing to speak out. We heard from Pence, we heard from Pompeo, we heard from Christie, there have been some others, and a lot of them are mulling their own 2024 presidential bid. But in a way, that plays right into Trump's hands. Because Trump has a loyal base of support. And the bigger that field gets, the more likely he's going to come out on top. Yeah, I mean, if it's a large field, he does have a better shot at coming out on top. You're absolutely right. But I think Charlie put his finger on a key point here. We saw Governors Sununu and Christie both speaking. Uh, and Charlie's point is valid. And I wonder about it myself. And Charlie, maybe you can expand upon it. Doesn't it really prove the point that Donald Trump has instilled such fear in other Republican yeah. candidates that they go right up to the tripwire of answering the question of if he does indeed, God forbid, become president of the United States again, yeah. it poses a threat to national security and a threat to the right. larger existence of the United States of America as we know it. Now, my question to you is that the snake oil that you speak of, is it only from Donald Trump or does the snake oil also stick to different candidates? And I'm thinking of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He's the one that comes to mind. Sure. I mean, so I think that irrespective of what Donald Trump's uh, political future is, he's established a playbook. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, we see, you know, what the parameters of dishonesty and just the incredible mendacity uh, that characterized Trump's behavior uh, with, you know, just lie after lie after lie after lie uh, for a politician who lies half as much or three quarters as much. They look honest in comparison. Uh, and so it, it really is, you know, the problem, even whether it's Ron DeSantis or someone else, the problem is the parameters and the tolerance for the kinds of anti-democratic behaviors uh, that were mainstreamed and normalized during the Trump administration. No, I think that's right. And I think it's, it's incredibly dangerous. I, I want to ask you, is Ron DeSantis Trump 2.0? And a lot of people are asking this question, but one of the things that has been underreported is the fact that Ron DeSantis, yes, he won, but he highly gerrymandered the state of Florida. And oftentimes people say, well, but that was, a, you know, he was a statewide office. <clears throat> but gerrymandering has the impact of chilling potential voters uh, for the opposite side of going out and voting. There's no way that he could gerrymander himself across 50 states. So what would be his pathway? 
Well, he also can't gerrymander himself political charisma or retail <laughs> politics either. What I was disappointed uh, with was sort of the tropes, right? I mean, he constantly attacks Ilhan Omar. And yes, she made that comment all about the Benjamins comment. She committed to learning more. We've never heard her say anything like that again, that the people he chooses to attack are the very same people that he thinks his base wants attacked. Yeah, that right. says something about where the Republican Party is today. Well, one thing I'm that sorry, Representative guys. Ilan Omar said that did bother me in 2021 was she tweeted something comparing the U.S., Israel, Hamas, and the Taliban as all mm -hmm. terrorist organizations. And she has maybe way more knowledge and experience in the very complicated Middle Eastern relations. But I did find that being on a foreign committee and comparing the country to a terrorist, a known terror, those are organized terrorist communities that, not Israel, but Hamas and the Taliban. It that depends on who you talk to. Right. Well, I mean, those are, that's how they're recognized as, as, as terrorist and organizations. But it does depend on, it, it, on who you yeah, talk to. Well, they're recognized does. in this country. Yeah. Right. Well, well yeah, yeah. the thing is that when you're talking yeah. about, and that's why I think we always, when we talk about the Middle East, I think we need to have Middle Eastern experts. Absolutely. Like someone from Palestine. Yeah. someone from Israel, someone that is Muslim. Right. I don't think that we can just sort of get into that kind of discussion. No, but I wanted that. to finish your point. Well, because what I was saying is that it, it, there have been votes she's voted on that I would say some of that plays into. There were um, actually in Syria and uh, the Armenians uh, that, that, that were killed. It was a, it was a genocide. Mm -hmm. She voted present, which is essentially voting no. And so she well, talks a lot about the people being massacred, but then there's been two votes where she, was, she wasn't voting in a way that I would want someone on that committee to vote. I, or maybe not a lack of, of understanding, but... It that Alien Omar one is quite the choice cut because you guys were all for a conservative version of her getting dick slapped. Eh, I remember it. Of course, it wouldn't be a pre-Thanksgiving show unless I talked about the climate impact, eat oysters and mussels, don't eat turkey. Yeah, they were there. Cost Thanksgiving on Trump, 4690 under Biden, 6405 But you saved 16 cents. Yeah, that was good. That was really good. That's, that's pretty much how it sums up and plays out because it's okay to be fucked up. So, going to do some lighter fare and close this puppy out. Enjoy. I know, pretty silly, but that cat thing just cracked me the fuck up. Our closing article is very interesting. Rubio and Roy have done a report 
Woke Leaders for Weakening the American Military. New report produced by offices of U.S. Senator Marco Rubio and Representative Chip Roy detail how leaders within the Pentagon are pushing a critical race theory, sex reassignment procedures, and identity politics instead of focusing on bolstering our military and tackling the threats facing our nation. Rather than making the case for America's greatness and protecting our nation, the military is parroting woke nonsense. It's dumb, it doesn't work, and it's dangerous. We need to spend more time thinking about how to counter Chinese aircraft carriers and less time thinking about pronouns. Rubio. Roy, the DOD priority should be training the men and women of armed forces to be united, lethal, and battle-ready for force prime to defend the United States and our interests at a moment notice. Instead, Biden's woke Pentagon is using tax dollars to promote blatant anti-American ideology. It has to stop. We need to end this politicization of our military and keep our armed forces focusing on defending the nation. Trying to get the actual report... Oh, here it is. Finally, I was looking. Here's the actual report. Stand down, Bishop Garrison, Department of Defense Education Service Academies, General Mark Milley. Let's just go to General Mark Milley, um, and we'll keep this. I'm going to save this. Boom. We have the report. Let's go to Milley. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, directly from the report now, defended teaching CRT at U.S. service academies and testified to Congress about the desire to understand white rage. He argued that American taxpayer money should be spent to ensure cadets and midshipmen learn what caused thousands of people to assault the Capitol building. The Biden administration is choosing to focus on fund the study of racial extremism, even when, as the CEAWG shows, it's a virtual non-issue in the military. These radical ideas are rare and already impacting our military most elite member oper- operate. The United States SOCOM is, co- is comprised of some of the most patriotic, hardworking, and lethal warriors in the history of the world. SOCOM is responsible for the elite, blah, 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 and professional warfare, and other. Blah, 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 blah. And the first lines of SOCOM's 2021 diversity plan. Oh, Jesus. Chief Master Sergeant Smith and General Clark write that diversity and inclusion are operational imperatives. The plan goes on to say that leaders must integrate diversity and inclusion efforts into unit goals, mission objectives, talent management initiative, and operational priorities for successful implementation. The plan also notes that SOCOM will implement a joint special operation diversity University diversity and inclusion curriculum to emphasize what makes diversity and special operations an, an imperative. The only goal of our special forces should be effectiveness. We'll cover this more in depth in a later podcast, but this, this shit's fucking scary. It's scary fucking shit, and nobody wants to talk about it because it's... The cause of the day right now. It's what everybody wants to talk about. Tranny. Even if the shooter is binary, you will still be hearing for the next two weeks that it's Ben Shapiro's, Tucker Carlson, or any parent who doesn't want their kids to go to fucking tranny story hour. And that's fucked up. So... To all of you, I wish you a happy Thanksgiving. 
As is a tradition in my family, there will be a place setting for those deployed because there's still people all over the damn world defending our freedom. So I think of them every Thanksgiving. Some of my lowest times in uniform were the holidays because I was a family guy and not being with my family was really, really hard. So I remember a couple really depressing Thanksgivings, um, not in war zones, but in Korea that, yeah, they sucked. Yeah, they sucked. Christmas and Thanksgiving in Korea was pretty, pretty bad. It was it was not a good time, not a happy time. But I hope you have a happy time with you and your family and are thankful for the many blessings that we do have to be able to live in this nation, even as fucked up as it is, and I scream about every week, we still are pretty damn lucky to live here. So we're going to look at our next show to be... Uh, yeah, the 30th. We'll go 30 November, year of our Lord, 2022. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share with your family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com. You can find links to everything. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. Have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Eat some turkey for me because I won't be able to. And we'll see you on the 30th.